This morning, we're on the second week of our Being Reformed sermon series. In this series, we're reflecting on how God reshapes us, how he reforms us, how he remakes us. Last week, we talked about how Jesus transforms who we love. This week, we're going to talk about how Jesus transforms how we think. And then we'll wrap up next week by talking about how Jesus transforms what we do. We're working through the book of Colossians for this sermon series. And this morning, we'll be reading from Colossians 2, from verse 6 to verse 15. Let's read. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority." In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is God's word for us gathered here this morning. Often in the evening these days, my kids and I go for a little walk after dinner, and we have kind of a two or three block loop that we do. A couple weeks ago, we were on this loop, and we saw a door-to-door salesman trying to sell some sort of, seemed like some sort of phone package or something. And he wasn't having a lot of success. But we saw him as we walked along, that he came on this lady who was just out watering her plants, having a pleasant evening outside. And she, perhaps rather foolishly, without looking up, noticed someone coming by and said, hey, how you doing? Having a good evening? And he pounced. And he started talking about how he could make her life so much better. And we kept walking and didn't really hear it. But as we circled back around, he was still there. Two blocks later, still talking to this same lady who was still just trying to water her flowers and talking, getting louder and louder about how really life would be so much better if she bought into what he had to sell. She was stuck. One little misstep, and she was the innocent victim, the captive of this salesman who just kept going on and on. Now, the book of Colossians was written to people who had come to Christ out of other religious backgrounds. They'd left other things behind, and they'd come to Jesus but they were in danger of going back. They were in danger of getting back into those old things, of being taken captive again. So in verse 8, Colossians tells these believers, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. When we think of philosophy these days, we probably think of a bunch of guys, probably kind of scruffy guys, sitting in a college classroom and debating at great length whether the desk in front of them really exists or not. Philosophy these days is often very academic and pretty close to irrelevant for everyday life. But that's not how philosophy was in the ancient world. When ancient people, when Colossians talks about philosophy, what it's basically talking about is the principles you organize your life around. It's talking about the way you see the world, the way you you think about things in the big picture, but then also how that works out into the day-to-day plans that you made. The philosophy that you had was your basic principles, the things 
you live by. So when Colossians tells us not to be taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy, it's basically just telling us don't get sucked, don't get captivated by hollow and deceptive ways of thinking. And then Colossians goes on to tell us that these other philosophies, all these other patterns of thought out there, these, they depend on human traditions and on the basic traditions of the world, the basic principles of the world. And that phrase, the basic principles of the world, is important in our text, but that's a little bit of a vague translation, basic principles of the world. It's hard to tell from that what it actually means. And part of the reason why that's so vague is because there's three possible meanings for that phrase there, three possible ways that the basic principles of the world might take us captive. And then as we read this text, there's also ways that Colossians shows us that Jesus is a response. Jesus is an answer. Jesus is an undoing of those ways of thinking in the world. So for most of our sermon this morning, we're going to be looking at those three possible ways of understanding basic principles of the world and then seeing how Jesus undoes those. So first, my first point for today is that the basic realities of life get our thinking all twisted up. The first meaning of basic principles of the world, the most basic one, kind of the literal one, is the elements of the world, the basic building blocks that the universe is made of. So the atoms, so to speak, or the molecules of the world is what this first level of meaning is. And this isn't the most popular interpretation that people pick because it's, it's honestly a little bit hard to see how the atoms of the world are going to rise up and take us captive, right? That's, that's sci-fi. That's not real life. But I think the idea, I think the point behind this level of meaning is that we shouldn't let the nitty-gritty of life, we shouldn't let just the basic realities of the world, just day-to-day stuff, we shouldn't let our day-to-day plans and schemes captivate us. We shouldn't let those day-to-day things draw us away from Christ Jesus. My grandfather was a long-haul truck driver for a few years. When I was maybe six or seven, he tried to explain to me all the regulations and kind of what you had to do as a truck driver to keep track of your time. And the regulations are actually kind of complex. If I remember right, in 24 hours, you have to have 10 hours of rest time where you cannot work. And then the rest of the 14 hours in that 24-hour period, you can drive for 11 hours, but no more. So in 24 hours, you can drive for 11 hours, but it has to fit in with these other things, and it gets kind of complicated. And as my grandfather explained it, it's often very frustrating for truck drivers because there's times that you're wide awake and you want to keep going and you're paid by the mile often, so you just want to push through for a few more miles, but your time is up, and so you got to stop. And so truck drivers sometimes end up just sitting in rest stops, stewing and going, why am I wasting my time? And there's other times where you're exhausted, where you just can hardly keep your eyes open, but you only have a couple hours left of driving window in the next 24 hours, so you've got to keep going. And you have to keep track of all of this in your logbook, you know, write down what your windows are and when you're driving and when you're not driving. And if you don't follow the rules, you and your company get in big, big trouble. And I, being the wonderfully moral six or seven-year-old that I was, said, well, Grandpa, can't you just keep two books? I mean, can't you just have one book where you write down whatever the law says you're supposed to do and then have another book where you write down what you actually do and do whatever you want and then give that one to your company and then they'll pay you more money and it'd be great. And he said, probably praying for the salvation of his grandchild here, he said, well, 
People do that. It happens. But eventually the books don't line up and you get caught and there's big trouble. And I went on and said, but Grandpa, what if you were really careful? What if you were really clever and you kind of camouflaged the things and your company worked out this whole system to integrate the two so your books could all be clean over here, but you could get paid more over here? And at that point, he just kind of shook his head and we moved on to talk about something else. Children, children are wonderfully clever, but they also are, give us wonderful evidence that original sin, it's, it's a thing. It's, it's real. From a very, very young age, we are all schemers. We all know what's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But our minds keep running away with us. We know what's right, but the day-to-day pressures of meeting our quota or trying to find some kind of edge or something keeps, keeps pulling us away. And so we misuse our God-given minds to do our best to keep two sets of books and to get away with things, to have it all work out for our advantage in the end. Often we have kind of our God book where, you know, when people are watching or when we feel like it's really important, we do what God wants, but then we kind of have our own book that we think, you know, I can run this thing on the side and it's not a big deal. I, it's okay, it's okay. We'll, we'll have a mesh more or less. But the thing is that when we're doing that, what we're really doing is we're trying to We're trying to be wiser than God. When we run those two sets of books in our lives, we're saying, yeah, God, it's nice that you think that, but really, I know better than you. Really, I want to be the one in the driver's seat. I want to be in control. I want to be like God, knowing what's really good and really evil. And that's how humanity's been ever since the beginning, ever since Adam and Eve. We we want to run two books. We want to have everything that God wants to give us, but we also want to have our own thing on the side. Just the day-to-day realities of life, all the temptations of the world, they get our thinking all all twisted up. But Jesus is still Lord. Jesus is still Lord. Our text for today opens up by saying, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord... And that Jesus Christ as Lord is actually phrased in kind of an unusual way in the original language. It's, it's not a construction. Those words are lined up in a way that we don't see anywhere else in the Bible. And so we probably should read that phrase more as, just as you receive Jesus Christ, the Lord. We should hear the text saying, just as you receive Jesus Christ, who is unquestionably, beyond measure, without competition, no debate, the Lord of everything. And that's the central reality of the universe. As believers, that's the central reality of our lives, that Jesus Christ is Lord of everything. And so in our thinking, let's let's not try to keep two sets of books. Let's not think that sometimes, you know, we can do things for God and sometimes we can do things for ourselves. Let's not make the mistake with any of our planning of leaving God out of it. There's a more intense way we do this, that we have one kind of pattern of thought, one way of being here on Sunday, and then when we go to work during the week, we're totally different. We're cutthroat. We stay just barely on the edge of legal. We're always scheming, what can I get away with instead of how can I really follow God? That's a more intense pattern of this, but I think a lot of us have a more unintentional, a less less thought-through way of approaching our lives that We're intentional about following God, but we feel like God doesn't actually make much of any difference for a lot of our day-to-day living. In the plans that we make for each day, in the schedule we set for any given week or month, we show up to church, we do some church things, we do the faith thing, but most of the time we just do whatever we want to do, and we don't really think 
we don't really focus all of our living, all of our day-to-day plans, everything about our lives on God. And I think that's especially tempting with work for many of us, that it feels like, why does God care about this particular chemical reaction I'm watching this week? Or why does God care about these numbers that I'm adding up? But you know, God, God sort of invented the world. God made the world so chemistry could work. God, God cares about every single part of the world and every single part of our lives. So no matter what we do, God cares about it. The basic realities of life, the day-to-day stuff, just living often pull us away from this. But the reality is that Jesus is Lord and everything belongs to Him. And so we shouldn't be running two sets of books intentionally or unintentionally. We should be always following the Lord. Now, the second level, the second, the second way of understanding the basic principles of the world is that the basic teachings of the world, the basic teachings of the world pull us away from God. The second way that you can interpret that line, the basic principles of the world, is to understand it as being the key teachings of other religions, of other philosophies, of other viewpoints. Every system of thought has all kinds of things that are involved with it, but often you can boil it down to a few key things. And what Colossians is saying here is don't get pulled away by the teachings of other schools of thought. Don't get pulled away from Jesus to other things. Now, the key teachings of today, if we think about just our world, the people we run into often, the things that might be tempting to us I think the greatest temptation, the greatest other belief on the market, if you want to say, is what I talked about when I talked about spiritual casseroles last week. This idea that you just kind of mix everything up, you make up whatever you want, and that's what you run with. That's what you do. That's what you believe. At least in my experience, I don't so much see, see people just one day wake up and walk away from Jesus. I don't see people just wake up one day and say, ah, done with that, moving on. What I see more is people just kind of drifting away bit by bit. A lot of water parks and amusement parks have a lazy river. And it's this ride where you climb on an inner tube and they have this course that kind of goes and there's jets in the water that keep the current going a certain direction. So you climb on the inner tube and you just chill out. And it drifts along, and you sort of just go with the flow, and it's relaxing. It's a nice change of pace from being on the more intense rides, and you kind of just go with it. And eventually, often, you come back to the beginning, you get off the inner tube, you go do something else. But in our thinking these days, even for us here in the church, too often we're on a spiritual, lazy river ride. We don't We don't spend too much time being intentional about what we think and how we think. If stuff comes along, we kind of say, well... Yeah, you know, that, that sounds all right. That, that's pretty comfortable. I can go with that. Yeah, sure, sure, why not? And we just kind of keep on going with the flow. We adopt whatever sounds good. We listen to other voices, and we, we just kind of keep going. But the thing about this spiritual lazy river ride is that it's never a loop. It is never a loop. The more that we're unintentional about how we think, the more that we just go with other voices and do whatever they want us to do because it sounds good and it's easy and it's kind of comfortable, the more we do that, the farther and farther and farther away from Jesus we go. This is not a loop. It is a river that carries us away from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And when we, when we ride that ride, there comes a point when we wake up one day and we realize, I don't really believe in Jesus anymore. I don't really need to follow any of that. I'm, I'm done with that. Because we've been drifting and drifting and drifting away. One of the great temptations of the thought world of our culture today is to just drift away from Jesus. Other things pull us away in so many different directions. But it's only in Christ that we find the truth. It's only in Christ that we find the truth. Other things can make us comfortable. They can take us for a nice ride. The scenery can be great. But apart from Christ, apart from Christ, any other teaching, any other philosophy, any other way of approaching reality is empty. And in the end, it will leave us empty. Only in Christ do we find the truth. Only in Christ can we find the fullness that we want, the fulfillment that we want in our lives. And Colossians here gives us a couple metaphors for that. It talks about, after it says Jesus is Lord, it calls us to continue to live in Him, to be, to be deeply rooted and built up in Jesus. That's an agricultural metaphor. Be rooted and a building metaphor. Be built up. But the point is the same. It is only by holding on to Jesus that we find truth and life. In John 15, Jesus gives us an agricultural metaphor. He says he's the vine, he's the root. And as long as the branches, as long as we're attached to him, if we're attached to Jesus, then we find true life. Then we can grow, then we're connected to the truth, to real reality. But if we step back from Jesus, if we drift away, if we cut our connection to the vine, then all we find is dust and death. And in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, Jesus tells the story of the foolish and the wise builders. And the foolish builder builds his house on sand. And when the wind and the waves and the storm come, the house is knocked flat. But the wise builder builds his house on Jesus Christ, on the rock. And then when the storm and the winds and the rain come, that house that's built up on Christ, that house stands. Other things can look really appealing. Other things can sound great. It's tempting to go with the flow wherever it carries us. But if we want real life, if we want to really know the truth, then we need to hold on to Jesus. And one of the things that that means practically is we need to hold on to what Jesus teaches us. We need to have our beliefs, our teachings, the core of what we hold on to come from what God teaches us, not not from what sounds good to us, not from what someone out there or even in here, not from what someone is trying to sell us, but from the Lord himself. And so we need to dig deeply, deeply into the Bible. We need to hold on to God's word and we need to test everything else by what God's word has to say to us. And this is hard, by the way. It sounds, it sounds simple, but it's actually, it's actually pretty complicated. We need a massive dose of humility to put aside what we want to think and instead submit to what God's Word tells us to think. It takes massive, massive humility to say to the Lord, I will follow you instead of I will do my own thing. And even as we have that humility, it still takes time and effort, prayer, study to dig into God's Word and to see what it actually has to teach us. 
This is hard stuff. But if we really want to hold on to Jesus, we can't just drift. We need to hold on. We need to be rooted and built up in him. Now on to the third point for today. And the third point for today is that the spiritual powers of the world keep trying to get hold of us. The third meaning of that phrase, basic principles of the world, is the spiritual powers of the world, the elemental spirits, if you will. In the ancient world, people generally believed in some kind of high God, but they focused a lot of their spiritual attention on intermediary figures, on gods with a little g, on, you know, the god of wind, fire, rain, whatever, and in all kinds of intermediary spirits, spirits that had power that were real, that you couldn't see, that did certain things. They were active, and so you had to respond to them in some different ways. Now, we almost automatically, in our culture, we almost automatically dismiss all those middle levels. We think, yeah, right, those, those, those aren't real. They don't exist. And even, even if we follow the Bible and what the Bible seems to say, no, they really do exist. In our actual planning and our thinking and how we approach things, we, we just totally ignore them. And I think pretending that there are no evil spiritual powers out there actually makes us more vulnerable to their influence than most Christians throughout most of history who believe that there are really things like angels and demons and spiritual powers. Now, I don't want us to get into this position where, you know, every time we stub our toes or lose our keys, we say, oh, Satan made me do it. Let's not give demonic powers more, more weight, more reality, more power than they really have. But let's not pretend that the surface level is all there is to it. Let's not pretend that everything is always straightforward and simple and, and clean like our modern worldview would have it be. There are deeper powers out there. And we, should, we shouldn't obsess about them. We shouldn't worry about them too much in some respects. But we should take account of them. Satan has been a tempter and a trickster from the beginning. And he and his servants, they love, well, they love to get all of our lives bent around. But part of that is they love to get our thinking bent around. They love to get us stuck. They love to get a hold of us and get us captive to wrong ways of thinking. And too often... Too often, evil forces in the world do manage to play their part in getting us pointed in the wrong direction. In some respects, you can read some of those other levels of the basic principles of the world. You can read, you know, day-to-day life getting us distracted. You can read other teachings, other viewpoints getting us distracted. You can read those as enemy action in some respects. You can read those as the powers trying to influence us and trying to pull us away from Christ. But what Colossians wants us to hear, what Colossians wants us to hear is that we are not under the influence of those powers anymore. Colossians verse 15 tells us that Jesus has disarmed those powers and authorities and he's made a spectacle out of them. And the picture that's picking up is often if two cities or two nations would go to war and one would defeat the other, The victors would take the leaders from the nation they'd conquered and they'd drag them away in chains and they'd take them back to their own city and they'd put them on display, often for quite a while. And what that display, what that living picture, if you will, said to everyone who entered that city was, we are the victors. Our enemies, they are finished. They have no power. You can go and you can see how totally we have defeated them because we have made a spectacle out of them. Now, you can question a lot of things about that arrangement, but 
That's the kind of picture that Colossians wants to have us have us have of how completely Jesus has defeated other powers. Jesus, through his suffering, through his death, through his battle with evil, has defeated evil once and for all. And because we as believers share in Jesus' death and in the new life that he gives us, we do not need any longer to be captive to the evil powers of the world. Once we were enslaved to those powers, but Jesus set us free. And there is no other power, no other anything that can stand up to Jesus at all. Colossians, again, is written to people who had come to Jesus, but they were, they were being pulled away to other things. They were checking out other options. They were thinking about mixing Jesus in with some of their old beliefs, with some of their previous teachings, with different patterns of life, with other gods even. And Colossians doesn't say this in so many words, but one of its overriding themes is that Christ is greater than. Christ is greater than all those other things. And if you really get, if you really get Jesus, if you really get who he is, if you really get how he wants to lead you, then those other powers, those other teachings, those other possibilities will have no interest at all for you because Jesus is greater than them. Whatever form the basic principles of the world take in your life, Jesus is greater than them. Jesus has conquered over them. Jesus offers greater fulfillment than any of those other things ever could. Now, having said that, we are still in a battle. There are still things that we don't get straight. It can be hard for us always to know what's right and what's wrong, hard to know what's true and what's false. And so we have to keep working at it. We can't just sit back and glide and assume that everything is okay. We have to keep, keep holding on to the reality that Jesus is Lord. Keeping, keep, keep on holding on to the reality that we need to be deeply rooted and built up in Jesus. We need to hold on to Him with everything we've got so that we don't drift away. And hold on to the reality that in all things, Jesus has the greatest power. There is no power or authority greater than what Jesus has or greater than who he is. So don't let any hollow or deceptive philosophy take you captive. Continue in Jesus Christ the Lord. Continue in him being built built up, being rooted, being strengthened and always giving thanks to him for what he's done for us.